Thanks, Adam and Alessandra. Oh, man, you guys are in for some good stuff this morning. Already have. Um, hey, I'm Jeff. Welcome to Friends Church. Look at I, I got a couple things I want to mention. First is right after the service, our discussion group is kicking off this morning. And so it's really an opportunity to get together, talk about all things spiritual. Um, often the message generates some different thinking and thoughts. Uh, maybe past messages. Anyways, it's all fair game in this discussion group. It's a great opportunity to interact with others, meet some other people, and kind of uh, verbally process parts of your spiritual journey. So anyways, that's happening right after service right here, okay? Um, I want to tell you about a series that's coming up uh, in a couple weeks. How many, if I was to ask you, Ten Commandments, how many have heard of the Ten Commandments before? Like, that's, okay, everyone knows that. If I was to ask you to, like, name three, three of the Ten Commandments, now I'm not going to, because no one's going to raise their hand, right? But if, if I was to just ask you, would you know three of them? How many would feel safe? Then? Oh, wow, good. Uh, so thou shall not kill, right? That's easy, right? Thou shall not steal. Honor thy father and mother, don't. Take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I don't know what your thoughts are. I sometimes wonder, you know, we, we find out from people that sit outside of traditional religious, religious circles. They go, isn't that what you guys are about? Like following the Ten Commandments? Like, isn't that what you guys talk about? And it's like, hmm. Well, we, I suppose we indirectly maybe talk about some of this stuff, but some of, the, some of it, I think, in kind of public consciousness kind of seems pretty obvious. It's like, yeah, okay, so no one's going to kill anyone, right? Uh, Well, hopefully. I mean, we would understand that some of this stuff just seems obvious. There are some of them, the commandments, that seem a little bit archaic. Maybe some would say, you know, a little bit irrelevant for our day, our time. But these things, these Ten Commandments, well, there's actually more than ten. That might be a newsbreaker. But uh, they've been around for a long time, and they've formed somewhat of kind of the foundation in terms of guideposts for life for the Jewish people since, oh man, thousands and thousands of years ago. And though today we would read them perhaps and go, "Eh, I don't know how much they really could guide my life, how much they could actually speak to my day today in 2021, I would challenge you that you might be surprised. In fact, these statements underneath them is loaded with context. If you dive into the day and age in which these things were written, and you see what it was that these people were trying to guard against, And you see perhaps why these Ten Commandments have spanned over thousands of years, still being recited and discussed and examined, even to today. You would find that perhaps they are as relevant now as they've ever been. Six years ago, we began our examination of the Ten Commandments here as a community. And uh, that series sparked so many conversations, so many things today even, that I'm hearing people who were here at that time referencing still. So we, we decided we want to go back in, re-examine, uncover, and talk about these timeless principles, well, 
guideposts that uh, we think can actually stir up a lot of questions for you in your life, can uh, perhaps make you look at different parts of your life, decisions that you're making in a whole new way, adding rich depth and meaning for your journey. So I'm going to invite you back. In two weeks, we're kicking this thing off. Um, yeah, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Look, we're in for a good morning. I'm going to invite Trevor to come and do his part this morning. Good morning, everyone. I'm hearing the new lighting supposed to make me look angelic. I think it's going to take more than lights is what I told them, but I'm like, okay, if that can help, we'll go with it. My name is Trevor, part of the charitable giving team here, and as you guys all know, we, we run by our donations, and I say our because I'm a part of this as well in terms of just contributing. One of the really cool things about Friends is our ability to pivot. Like over the years, you know, like as Jeff was saying, like we revisited messages from a while ago, but now we're really also really looking to create community as well. So next week there's an orientation on what's Friends Church about. So if you're new here, or even if you've been coming a while, maybe just a really good opportunity to sort of delve a little bit deeper in terms of, okay, where are we getting sort of some of the ideas or what are the areas that we're passionate about? What do we talk about? That's kind of fun. And the other part is if you're looking to connect for community, I'd suggest you go onto the website or click onto the app. They had the gaming group going yesterday. I heard it was a blast. There's a hiking group coming up. It's, it was really good. Uh, I got worn out by teenagers yesterday at Switch, like 18 hours of teenagers yesterday. It was, it was really fun at the camp. And I froze in Canoe Wars, and I lost very badly in Canoe Wars. I didn't realize that people could jump off of the actual land onto your boat to sink you. I thought that wasn't fair. I thought you had to be in a canoe. I didn't know all of the rules of engagement. But that's some of the things that go on sort of behind the scenes. If you're looking for more, we're offering those opportunities, especially you know, during this last year and a half. Sometimes like some of the structures that I had in my life have kind of gotten like that canoe tipped over into freezing water. And it's like, okay, maybe I want to look at, do I want to create something? And it doesn't have to be just through here. We talk about that all the times in Friends Church. Our goal is to go out there, there being out into the world and be better people. But sometimes we need a little bit more refreshers and a little bit more of our own structures, right? You need the right mates. Uh, Next year when we do Canoe Wars, I'm taking the big boys and girls in my canoe. We are going to take them down. So you learn things as you go in terms of the world. But we really want to say thank you. We've been able to keep this going through a really weird time in the world. And that's all because of us. Like your donation, our donations, they really do matter. And they have an impact. Um, There's a lot of kids. If you have a chance to talk to one of the teens in Switch, get some stories from them. They're, hey, tell me about what happened in Canoe Wars. How high did you get on the climbing wall? What happened in Gladiator at the end of the evening? Who went down? Just ask them those questions. These are sort of fun things, but now you've got some insider knowledge. I always appreciated that as a parent. The reason we went to parent-teacher interviews is so we had better questions to ask our child because they just tell you nothing generally. So now you guys have some information. You see a teen or maybe have one of the teens in the program, you've got something to ask. I hope you have a great morning here. Really glad, whether you're here virtually or whether you're here, that you've taken some time to come to the spiritual gym and just say, what do I want to learn today? Like, what's this about? And thanks again for all your support, guys. We're doing awesome. Alessandra? Thanks, Alessandra. Good morning, everybody. I want to start today by telling you a bit about my grandmother. She was probably 
four foot something. I don't know. I was taller than her when I was eight years old. She's this peony little lady, white hair, like not salt and pepper. I have no memory of her other than just white, white, beautiful hair. She was an incredible woman, tireless. She did everything. My dad would have stories of them being kids, five of them in the family, her husband, her. And she'd cook a meal for everybody, their favorite meal. But they didn't have enough. They grew up, my dad grew up in a Mennonite community, so my family is Mennonite heritage. And so basically they ate dough. Now before you think about dough, pancakes and waffles, that is not nearly the detail we need to understand in terms of dough. We're talking riai, perschi, and rokuchen, and chilcha. Like we're talking, they took dough to the next level. The stuff was very cheap to buy the ingredients, but incredibly time-consuming to make. Some of the meals, she would start three, four hours ahead of time, just like hand, making it by hand. The family would sit down and just wolf it down. And when it wasn't enough, she'd go get a piece of bread and toast it to freshen it up a little bit. And that's what she would eat. I don't think I ever remember her asking for anything. We'd show up as little kids to family gatherings and she'd give us some money, a couple quarters to go to the corner store and buy candy. At night there'd be like 10 people staying at their house and she'd make these little beds for each of us. She'd find these little niches and she'd have handmade quilts that she made by hand for us all to sleep under. She was an incredible woman. Incredible. And when we look at the spiritual journey and we see a focus on others, on taking care of them, my grandma was the top of the list. Always focused on everybody. I sat down with her just before the end of her life in her little apartment. I said, I just want to hear about your life. And she was quite old, so um, English was her second language, so she was kind of jumping in and out of English into low German, which is what she grew up speaking. I said, tell me about when you were married. She didn't say a whole lot, but she said this. It was a simple ceremony. After the ceremony was done, your grandfather said to me, Now you're mine. Not in a romantic way. From that point on, she was expected to do whatever he said. Think whatever he said she should think. Make whatever she was supposed to make. Her life wasn't her own. She had no money of her own. Her body wasn't even her own. What started out as this beautiful picture of spirituality, of focusing on them, suddenly starts to feel aloft, doesn't it? And here's what I want you to think about today. If you were sitting there watching my grandmother through our lives, and I remember right from being young, 
I'd be there on this little kid and she'd, she'd try to pull her shirt down because she has a bruise on her hand and she'd say things like, oh, I'm so clumsy. She's not clumsy. What would you say to somebody like that? When I asked her why she did it, why she stayed, because the whole family was like, why are you doing this? Just leave him. She said, no. I put my marriage first. I put them first. And suddenly that beautiful picture of spirituality of other focused, of her handmaking, she made these things called kringle, which is like handmade white bun. She made it all from scratch. It took days to make them. On the one hand, a beautiful expression of spirituality. And yet, when you look at how she took care of herself, something doesn't seem right, does it? If you were her kids or her grandkids, what would you say to her when she says, no, my spiritual journey says, I need to put him first? What would you say to her? This focus on them as our spiritual practice seems beautiful, doesn't it? The people, the Mother Teresas, who go into the world and take care of everyone else first. There's something beautiful. And yet, when you hear my grandma's story, you're going, I... there's something missing. I was driving back from the ghost yesterday. Uh, it's kind of the time I get to listen to podcasts. Anyone know where the ghost is? Okay, if you live in Calgary, you need to go visit the ghost. It's like northwest of town, beautiful valley. Some of the best ice climbing in the world is just down there. Dirt biking too, and fantastic. So I'm driving back and I'm listening to this podcast while I explore this message. Because these messages aren't for you all, they're for us. Most of the time I feel like I'm preaching to myself and you guys are just listening to my inner monologue. I'm listening to this podcast about nuns. <laughs> you know, convent nuns? That's a thing still. And they were interviewing some nuns who said this is how their, or their um, nunneries worked. They would all show up, like 10 new nuns would show up to get ready to join this convent. And they'd sit them down and say, okay, look around the room and see the other people you kind of think you have a connection to. You know, the people who feel kind of like you. Now here's what you're going to do. You're not going to be friends with them. You're not going to talk to them. That person in this room who you have nothing in common with, who kind of their energy just turns you off and you kind of just want to take a step away from them, that's going to be your new friend. Because what you want isn't what's important here. Sound familiar? In my Christian tradition growing up, and I think a lot of our Christian traditions, in fact, if you watch The Simpsons and you understand Christianity from The Simpsons and Ned Flanders, you know this concept called mortification. You know that when you get really embarrassed, you say, oh, I'm mortified? There's another semantic range or semantic aspect to the range of that word. It means to, th to try and take everything that you want 
out. Those nuns, yeah, you see the person you want to be friends with? Yeah, that we're going to mortify out of you. That thing that you like to do, the knitting, I don't even know what they do. What do nuns do? Badminton, knitting, who knows? (laughs) You can't do that either because if you want it, it's bad. If you like it, it's bad. That's why we have language like when the cake is really good, we don't call it really good, we call it sinfully good. Because if you like it, there must be something wrong. And so the Christian tradition, for right or for wrong, focused on this idea of mortification to to beat out the things that we like out of us. Spirituality, or the height of spirituality, was seen as those who don't have any desires for themselves. My grandmother was perfect. She had mortified herself to like the nth degree. And yet when we look at her, when we think about how she behaved in this world, something's missing, isn't it? So let me ask, is the complete denial of self, of your wants, of your desires, of your preferences, of your connections, of anything you want in the world, is that spiritual? And even as they say it, maybe you're thinking, well, no, that makes no sense. And yet, when you start the sentence, I want to go outside. I want a nice coffee. I want to have sex. Does that feel spiritual? I'm going to take a second here and just let you guys sit with that. Think of the sentences that start with, I want. How many of them feel spiritual to you? I started last week talking about this spiritual journey focus on people around us. It's beautiful. Again, the Gandhis of the world, the people, when we make, what was it, 20 hampers this year, Jeff? Give me... 20 hampers this year for families who are developmentally challenged over Christmas. That's taking care of them. When we donate blood, when we donate money and our time and our expertise, when we reach out to somebody who we know that us reaching out would just be a beautiful moment for them. All of it's beautiful. It feels incredibly spiritual. So when I told the story... This this idea of Jesus is hanging out and 5,000 families come to him. And at the end of the day together, his students basically say to him, yeah, get rid of the 5,000 because we're hungry. Let's go to town and get us some snacks. I believe I said they wanted fried chicken. There's something in that story I didn't tell you. Because the story starts differently than that. There's many versions of the story, and they're all a little bit different. In some of them, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and some, he's talking to himself, and he says this. Come away to a deserted place all by yourself and rest for a while. You see, there's something in us that sees a focus on them as a beautiful part of our spirituality. 
Let's be honest, my grandmother would have seen the 5,000 people and she just started making buns immediately. Just like rowing the dough, getting peace. She's like, we got to feed these people. That's what she would have done. She did it to every family gathering we ever had. But would she have heard that first line? Come away to a quiet place and rest. It's funny, in our spiritual tradition, there's these beautiful stories that I don't know about you, but I find myself jumping over the eye component. I never thought the, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, that famous story, loaves and fishes, all that crap. No, no, that's all I focused on. The story starts with, come away to a quiet place and rest. What do you want? We started to play with this idea. <laughs> we had this whole focus on them, which is beautiful, but we found people burning out. We had to give people time off. So we thought, well, okay, the spiritual journey just all about them. Clearly there's something missing. We had this whole idea of like an empty cup can't give water to somebody else, so we've got to fill up the cup so you can give someone else. But it wasn't focused on us. It was focused on someone else. What can you do for them? It was my grandmother's story all over again. We just had to figure out how to have her not burn out so she could keep making buns for everybody. And then something changed for me. I think Jeff probably too. We did a series on sexuality and we started to explore this Bible or this book in the Bible called Song of Songs. Anyone ever heard of Song of Songs? It's a story that was written, let's guess, 3,000 years ago. It's in the Bible. It's, it was preserved for 3,000 years by our spiritual ancestors to say, this is important. And here's the crazy thing. Not once is the word God mentioned in that whole book. Not once. Not a synonym, not another word for God, nothing. You know what's in there? Sex. Lots and lots and lots of sex. It's desire. It's want. It's, it's feelings of like, how do I turn you on and how do you turn me on? How exactly are we supposed to f- reconcile this kind of idea of mortification of desires of self are bad and then we have this book that's all about our desires? You know how they did it? I went to seminary, so it's like I got my master's degree. Even at master's level, this is what they told you. There's a scene from the Song of Songs. This is a heterosexual couple, not married. They're super into each other. And I'm telling you folks, it's all about sex. At one point, she comes to him, and she's wearing a robe, and it's super low cut. And her breasts are in full display. And just in case he's not paying enough attention to her breasts, her cleavage, she takes a, a, a string and puts it around her neck and then puts this bag of like myrrh, this uh, sweet-smelling thing, right between her cleavage. It's like, hello, pay attention, buddy. Even if you close your eyes, you're paying attention. It's hot. If you're a heterosexual person or if you're a lesbian who's into this, I'm telling you folks, this is good stuff. Seminary, Bible school. This is how they reconciled that image. The woman's breast represent the Old and the New Testament. And the bag of myrrh between them is Jesus that bridges the Old and New Testament. 
No. They spend a significant amount of time describing how beautiful her breasts are. They're like pomegranates. This is hot stuff. How exactly are we going to try and read this through this lens of mortification? It's not possible. There's not enough like Jesus bridging the Old and New Testament to make that work. Something snapped. What if? What if our spiritual ancestors are saying to us, what you want what you desire, what turns you on, is part of the spiritual journey. It's not something to be beat out of yourself, to constantly try and make it go away, but it's to be embraced and celebrated and managed, but honored. And suddenly, everything changed for us. We, we had this model. Can you throw it up for me? We had this model that was them-focused, and suddenly we realized, wait, what if, what if the Song of Songs is saying, I, what I want, what I need, what makes me excited, what I want to avoid, what if that's all part of the spiritual journey, not as it relates to them, but on its own? What if I is not bad. Say it with me. I am not bad. Try it. I am not bad. Isn't it funny how <laughs> there's something inside of us I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's wrong. <laughs> pretty sure that's super wrong. <laughs> Vince, have you actually read the Bible? Do you know anything about what you're talking about? How much of our lives have we seen the spiritual journey is mortification? Beat us down. Get rid of my desires. Make none of all that go away. Focus just on them. The cloistered life, the monastic life, the nuns and the priests, or nuns and the, the monks. That's what we tried to do. Whenever we felt joy, whenever we felt attraction, whenever we felt compelling, it was like, well, no, 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 I've got to turn that down. The spiritual journey is about turning that down. But what if that was wrong? What if the voices of 3,000 years of our spiritual ancestors through the Song of Songs are saying, it's not just about them. There's a spiritual journey about I At this point, your brain should be coming up with all sorts of reasons why I'm totally full of crap. But Vince, you don't know what I... But Vince, I want this. I can't always have what I want. Yeah, those are mostly thinking errors. You know, all or nothing thinking. Well, if I always get what I want, then that's not going to work. No, no, just because you have a focus on I doesn't mean you always get it. Doesn't mean when you focus on I, you can't also focus on them. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. Jeff will talk about that next week. How do we balance the I and the them? But can you open your heart to saying, I am valuable here. What I want is important. I am spiritual.
That's what blew my mind. Vince, sexuality, spiritual, that's by definition wrong. Now let me just jump, before I kind of clean this thing up, let me just jump. For those of you who have a certain set of hormones, traditionally we would say mothers, but nowadays we can synthetically give people hormones, so it's a much broader conversation. For those of you who have the hormones similar to mothers, here's the deal. Evolution makes this incredibly hard for y'all. Evolution, if I can personify it, it, it's, it's not a thing, but let's just say it is. Evolution wants us to have children and it wants those children to live. And to do that, it does special things to us. Babies of other species are born. I saw the other day, I saw a cow being born. The cow comes out of the mother cow, lands on the ground, stands up, shakes itself off, and walks away. And I was like, should I be calling somebody? Like, is there a doctor, like a midwife or something? Like, where's the farmer here? Seriously. What I didn't realize is the cow's good to go. Within hours, it'll be running. It can be safe. Little baby humans with their big ass heads, they can't even sit up on their own. (laughs) They're completely useless. They're beautiful. They're charming. They'll steal your heart. But useless. They need support. And so what did Mother Nature do? What did evolution do? It put a set of hormones into us that said, you will want to take care of that thing because it can't take care of itself. And so if you have mothering hormones in you, you have a stronger drive to focus on them. It's wired into you from evolution. And if you get them synthetically, (laughs) welcome to a million years of evolution. So if that's part of your hormonal makeup, I want you to hear this message really carefully. Because on a bell curve, if I, if I plotted all of you who have these hormones, chances are your focus on others is easier than a focus on yourself. And so I'm going to ask you to be extra diligent to see the, the drive of the motherhood, the drive of the, those hormones, to try and save our species. And again, on behalf of everyone who's ever lived, including all of us here today, thank you for doing this for us. I was in Italy a couple years ago, saw mother, father, three kids. Mother's wrangling two. Father's got one. Smallest one, but one. Stone steps, because everything's made out of stone. And I'm kind of way over there, and I'm watching this. And the mother's, like, fully wrangling. She's, like, taking care of, like, 16 different things. The dad's on his phone. As the little toddler starts to toddle towards the edge of the stone steps, that's going to land on the stone uh, walkway. The mother comes from across the way in like a full football move, dives across, catches the kid before it lands on the ground. And the guy puts his head up. He's like, what just happened? I don't mean to gender this. What I'm getting at is saying those hormones are driving her to take care of her kids. When your kid's two months old, it needs a lot of attention. When your kid's 20, it needs less. But the hormones are still there. 
So let me take this all the way back. We realized along the way that a focus just on them isn't enough. Our first reaction was to say, well, let's just do enough work with ourselves so that we can keep focusing on them. We realized, no, there's something missing there. Through the sex poem of the Song of Songs, we realized, wait a second, what if I am spiritual? What if I, the things that I want, the things that you want? Objections, of course, there's a million of them. You can tell me a million reasons why this is not true and we shouldn't do this, blah, blah, blah. But if you're open, if you're open to explore the journey as we've seen it through countless years, through countless people, I want to leave you with a final question. It comes from a researcher named Alison Armstrong. She's an amazing woman. If you ever get a chance to read her stuff or see any of her workshops, highly recommend it. She says this, to be healthy in relationship, to be healthy in this world, you need to start with this question. If I had it all my own way, what would I do? If I had it all my own way, what would we do? Think about that for a second. Put it in the context of your neighborhood, if you're partnered with your partner, your family, colleagues at work, the person driving with you down the road. If you had it all your own way, what would you do? If you had it all your own way, what would we do? Me and Elle, I, I come from a family that, again, mortification, that's the way to go. Deny self, more so even relationships. You should never ask for what you want. I'm brutal at this. What does it look like? Fridays, we always have date night. <laughs> she's great. She'll bust my balls every time I do this. I'll be like, okay, this date's going to be all about you. And she's kind of like, uh, duh. You only preach on this stuff, you dumbass. <laughs> what do you want to do? If you had it all your own way, what would you do? And it'd be like, well, I really want to go to a movie, even though you don't like sitting in the movie theater. But if I had it all my own way, that's what we'd do. And then we start the conversation. Jeff will share more about how to do that next week. But it starts with honoring the I. I want. I need. I desire. If you had it all your own way, and if you honored your desires in a spiritual way, Again, not the bad ones, not the ones that hurt people. Take all that stuff away. The core. If you had it all your own way, what would you do? Okay, if you're open to it, if you're willing to do the spiritual work, here's your homework. Throughout your whole week this week, every time you're with somebody, with people around you, strangers, friends, whatever, partners, I want you to ask this question in your head. If I had it all my own way, what would I do? If I had it all my own way, what would we do? And feel the core spiritual move that says, I am important. Amen?
Okay, have a great week. We'll see you next week. Jeff's up with we.